Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a tidbit about how to pronounce caramel, or is it caramel? and a meaty middle about phrases we get from sports. Let's get started. Jeffrey wrote in after he noticed that I pronounced caramel as caramel a few weeks ago, and that sounded wrong to him. The Harvard Dialect Survey found that the three-syllable pronunciation, caramel, is dominant all along the East Coast of the United States, from Maine to Florida, and extending into the South through Atlanta, Mississippi, Louisiana, and parts of Texas. Jeffrey, it turns out, was born and raised in New York, which explains why caramel is the way he's used to hearing it. My parents are from the Midwest, and I grew up in Seattle, and I've lived in the West my whole life, and I rarely recall anyone pronouncing it caramel, although the Harvard Dialect Survey maps show that there are some people here who do pronounce it that way. The most memorable thing for me is caramel apples, which has a melodic sound with both words having two syllables, caramel apple. I don't think I've ever heard anyone call them caramel apples. Gardner's Modern American Usage acknowledges three pronunciations for the word, saying caramel is best, caramel is second best, and caramel is worst, although he doesn't give a reason for his ranking. I'll concede that the three-syllable pronunciations better reflect the spelling of the word, C-A-R-A-M-E-L, But many words aren't pronounced exactly like they're spelled, as we learned in the Worcestershire episode a few months ago. There are even other three-syllable words in which the middle syllable is often dropped, such as interesting, which is often pronounced interesting, and laboratory, which is often pronounced laboratory. I'll also concede that I feel a little bit defensive about the caramel pronunciation, given that it's all I heard growing up and seems to be the most common pronunciation in my region, and, depending on which maps you look at, in the majority of the United States. And then it feels like people are just decreeing for no reason that one pronunciation is, quote, better than the others. But no matter how you pronounce it, the correct spelling is C-A-R-A-M-E-L, Sometimes people spell it without the A in the middle based on the caramel pronunciation, and that spelling is wrong. While we're on the topic, I've always wondered what the difference is between caramel or caramel and butterscotch, so I looked it up. The biggest difference between the two is that caramel is made with white granulated sugar and butterscotch is made with brown sugar. And now on to sayings we get from sports. Are you a fan of sports and leisure activities? Some people enjoy baseball, but not fishing. Others might like basketball more than track and field. But no matter what sport or leisure activity you prefer, chances are there's an English idiom that originates from it. 
This week, we'll get you into an active frame of mind as you learn about five idioms from five different sport activities. First up is track and field. This sport encompasses a wide variety of physical activities, including high jump, shot put, and pole vault. Athletes perform these amazing feats on the field, and on the track are the ones who run, and running is the source of the first idiom in the list. Can you guess what phrase it is? Think about what might happen to runners if they begin sprinting before the signal goes off. This action is called jumping the gun and might lead to disqualification. To jump the gun in a figurative sense means to act hastily or prematurely, and the expression has been used in this sense since the 1940s. You might hear the phrase used in a sentence like, Allie jumped the gun and regretted investing too much money before learning the ins and outs of the stock market. Interestingly, the phrase jump the gun took the place of an earlier phrase from about 1900, beat the pistol. Now let's play baseball. The first official baseball game was played in New Jersey in 1846. Obviously, baseball is played in a ballpark. If you're in the ballpark, in a figurative sense, however, you're talking about an approximation or educated guess that's within reasonable limits. According to Dictionary.com, this phrase is an Americanism dating to the late 1800s or early 1900s, somewhere in that ballpark. The Online Etymology Dictionary, on the other hand, states that in the ballpark originated in 1954 as jargon first used by atomic weapons scientists to refer to the expected area where a missile might land. Regardless of exactly when the phrase came into being, it's widely used today. Let's say that Jim is guessing Bob's age, but Bob doesn't want to tell Jim the exact number. 30-year-old Bob could say that Jim is in the ballpark if Jim guesses late 20s. You might also hear ballpark used as an adjective, as in, I'm not sure how much Daisy owes me, but the ballpark amount is $100. Another ball game that's the origin of an interesting phrase is basketball, invented in 1891 by Dr. James Naismith. Back then, the game was different than it is now. For example, at first, players used a soccer ball, and the nets were peach baskets that still had their bottoms. In addition, dribbling wasn't part of the game, and neither were slam dunks, shots that are forcefully put into the basket. The person first credited with a slam dunk is a seven-foot-tall player from Oklahoma A&M, Bob Kurland, who accomplished this in 1944 against Temple University. Kurland later called it, quote, an unintentional accident, unquote. Aren't all accidents unintentional? But that's a topic for another day. Nowadays, the phrase slam dunk is used to mean something certain to be accomplished. It's usually used as a noun, as in getting the customer to sign up for another year of service was a slam dunk. In other words, it was very easy to do. Slam dunk can also be used as a compound adjective with a hyphen, as in a slam dunk success. Have we hooked you yet with sports-related phrases? If not, you might enjoy this fishing-related idiom. Someone who falls for something hook, line, and sinker believes it completely and totally. This phrase has been used to mean to a great degree since about 1865. Apparently, fish sometimes swallow more than just the bait— They might gobble up everything but the fishing pole. There's the hook, which holds the bait. There's the line, which joins the hook to the fishing pole. And there's the sinker, a leaded weight that makes a fishing line go below the water's surface. 
If you're a fish or a gullible person, watch out for those hooks, lines, and sinkers. Last up is a phrase that comes from rifling, which involves the use of targets. People taking aim at something far away use optical devices that have crosshairs to center the target. Likewise, it can be said that people who attack and criticize others have their victims, quote, in the crosshairs, unquote. Believe it or not, originally crosshairs on instruments, such as telescopes and micrometers, were made from spider webs. In fact, in the early 1800s, before they were called crosshairs, these lines were also called spider lines. In both the literal and figurative cases, crosshairs is usually two words, but it can be one word. According to Merriam-Webster, the first known use of crosshairs was in 1884. That segment was written by Bonnie Mills, the author of The Curious Case of the Misplaced Modifier, who blogs at sentencesleuth.blogspot.com. And I'm Mignon Fogarty. Grammar Girl is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network. You can find all my old articles and podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. And if you celebrate the holiday, have a Merry Christmas this week. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.